On episode 35 of Laying the Points with Farley Betts, we welcome back Dr. Kate, clinical psychologist and behaviorist, here to talk about mental health and sports betting, what happens to our brain, how we can navigate and confront the challenges to our mental health in sports betting, a very important episode, I would argue a very unique episode. Can't wait for you all to hear this. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Laying the Points with Farley Betts. Uh, let's a uh, fucking go. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Laying the Points with Farley Betts. My name is Chris R. Farley, a.k.a. at Farley Betts on Instagram and Twitter. Professional sports better for over a decade. Done some things in this sports betting industry. Check me out at Farley Betts to find out more about that. Go to FarleyBets.com for free picks. Been winning a lot over there for our free newsletter subscribers. You can also learn about my NFL season package over there. Send me a DM at FarleyBets on Twitter or email me at FarleyBets at gmail.com. Find out how to become part of the FarleyBets NFL winning team this season. I know we probably say this every year, but I've never felt better about an NFL season approaching it anyway. That's probably because, partially because last year was a little disappointing for me. So I have doubled down, created more space so that I can attack the NFL the way that I want to. Just feeling really great about it. Check me out over there at FarleyBets.com and learn more about my season packages. Also, don't forget my first ever inaugural season-long ATS NFL contest, five picks against the spread every week. You can join the inaugural FarleyBets ATS contest. Find out more information about how to do that over there at FarleyBets.com as well. And like you heard at the top of the show, we have Dr. Kate. She's back to talk psychology and sports betting and mental health. A great episode that I think you can all really relate to the things we go through individually in our families as we look to make some extra cash betting on sports. It ain't easy. It's definitely not easy on our brains and our psyche and our emotions. So, you know, it just needs to be talked about more in this industry, right? As, as, Demographics of all types surge into the sports betting marketplace as it becomes legalized throughout the country. So really important, great conversation with Dr. Kate. It was great having her back. I don't want to hold anyone else up. I don't want to hold anyone up, any of my audience members up, because it's time to hear from Dr. Kate. Let's go right to that conversation. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Laying the Points with Farley Bets, everybody. And we have a great guest on today's show. I believe she was on a year ago, I think. And mm-hmm. that episode received a lot of positive reviews, um, <laughs> positive sentiments, if you will. Because it's a, it's a topic that I don't think is talked about enough in the sports betting space. And that's mental health, psychology, how to navigate some of these things in our own brains as we're betting and going through the turmoils of sports betting. Ladies and gentlemen, returning to the show for her second time, clinical psychologist, Dr. Kate. 
Dr. Kate, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Um, for those, you know, we're recording this on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. There are glasses of wine at hand. Mm -hmm. We're hanging out. We're kind of tired. But we need to have this conversation. And there's not a lot of free time these days uh, okay. for various reasons. But Kate, I'm going to just, we're just going to get right into it. Um, it. And actually, I, I didn't tell you that I was going to ask you this before the show. But, and you, you know, you don't have to reveal personal information. But just tell me your credentials. Like, what are you... What is your degree? Mm -hmm. What is your specialty? I got my PhD in clinical psychology from American University in DC. And I predominantly was trained in pediatric populations. So kiddos who are inpatient, hospitalized, those types of things and rehab programs. Um, but a lot of my outpatient training was with children, adolescents and young adults who have OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I've been practicing now independently, fully licensed for, gosh, probably like five years, I think, which is crazy. It is crazy. You're in practice. You're in the field. I'm in the field, official. Yeah. And li little did you know that you would be utilized to talk about sports betting. <laughs> I did not foresee that for myself. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's not really, you wouldn't think necessarily that that'd be a part of your uh, practice day to day. I did not. But yeah, but you know, like I said, that podcast a year ago or so, whatever you know, whenever it was, um, got a, a lot of great traction. I think this is because conversations like this don't happen very often. So, let me start off with this: you are married. For those who don't know, she is married to a pro sports better, mm -hmm. um, and you're you're a mother, Kate. You're obviously your wife, your partner, day to day. Can you just maybe for those who are listening who aren't even sports betters, maybe they want to listen to this because there's a chick on the show and her name is Dr. Kate and she has something else to say. Uh, but for whoever is listening, what, what is it like to be married, honestly, to a pro sports better? It's a loaded question for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, the highs are high, the lows are low is probably the best way to describe it. Um, I think for me personally, I support it because I want to wear the mink when it falls off the back of the truck, you know, but yep. um, it, it's a hard lifestyle for a partner, I think when there's so much variability in the process of gambling inherently, right? And that's what you're doing. Inherently, that's what you're doing. And, and you know, obviously for every pro sports better out there, it's a, I feel like it's a lifelong quest to try and handle your emotions, you know, like, especially if you're a pro or if you call yourself a pro, so you're trying to make a living off of it. Um, you know, there, there's, kind of high stakes or it feels like serious stakes at hand, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it, it means a lot, but to control those emotions, obviously we can get more into that, but um, that's challenging for, for some more than others. Uh, mm -hmm. I know I'm very, very passionate, you know, so I, yeah. So I can attach <laughs> to a result. I can, I can get really into watching it in, in the moment and wondering why my bet that I thought was a plus sharp as hell mm -hmm. is, you know, going, awry, right? It's not a good feeling, especially when you put your stuff out there. If you're a sports better who's actually publishing and saying your picks out loud in front of mm -hmm. other people, it feels like there's a lot at stake. Um, Definitely. Okay. So let's get into more psychological stuff. Um, so your primary modality, from what I understand, is cognitive behavioral therapy, right? CBT. Yes. So can you tell the audience what that means? Mm -hmm. So CBT is the domain that I operate out of, um, modality is probably a better word for it, like you said, but it's basically the idea that our 
cognitions influence our emotions, which then influence our behaviors and the relationship is reciprocal. So it's a triangle. And the therapy that we use is targeting all three of those things at different times and with different strategies. So we use cognitive work to alter or adjust our thinking. We use behavioral work to work on our behaviors. So what's actually happening day to day that we can physically control. And then we do, um, you know, like process therapy, talk therapy, interpersonal therapy, um, acceptance and commitment therapy, more to address the emotional side of things. So your, your feelings and how those influence the other two. Okay, great. So let me let me read this line to you, and I want to hear what you have to say about this. So according to studies conducted by Rutgers University, two-thirds of all bettors report negative effects on their mental health, and as high as 14%, this was pretty alarming for me to read, uh, reported thoughts of suicide. Mm-hmm. So pair that with the fact that, you know, 21 to 25-year-old men are the largest demographic entering the sports betting marketplace. And I mean, to me, right, we see a very vulnerable population at risk. Um, I know as a, uh, a a lay person, if you will, that our brains don't fully mature until we're like 26. So mm-hmm. if that's the population that's, you know, rushing into the sports betting marketplace, 21 to 25, immature brains, mm-hmm. would you would you say that they're at more risk? Like, how are their brains different? Well, the I would say that that's probably the worst population of people who should be entering the gambling industry or sports betting because the frontal lobe, which when you say the brain, I think the part that you're really speaking about is the, the frontal lobe, which is not fully developed until right age 25, 26. Um, and your frontal lobe is what houses your executive functioning abilities. And executive functioning is a term that's used to describe a variety of different skill sets. So it's things like emotional control, impulsivity, organization, inhibition, um, the ability to transition between tasks, right? Like, so all these things that sort of help us function day to day, not just at work, but in relationships and at home and, you know, or in social lives. So if we know that that part of our brain isn't developed until age 25 or 26, and we have this group of people who inherently are going to naturally be more impulsive, less controlled, have more difficulty organizing themselves, entering into what I would think is like a pretty chaotic field, right? Gambling. Um, it's kind of a recipe for disaster. Uh, so, I mean, this is an industry that you guys have very little control over. So, yes, you can build your models. Yes, you can research and you can delve into the logistics and the numbers and you can crunch them. But at the end of the day, the people who are playing these different sports are individuals or humans are totally out of your control. So I think that combined with the low frustration tolerance that we tend to see in in men of that age range and the fact that their frontal lobe isn't going to be developed until age 25 or 26, it's like the culmination of basically everything that could go wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So a a key word jumped out um, in Frontal lobe has to do with your inhibitions too, right? So when you drink, right, you you kind of lose those a little bit, right? There's less of a a block that says maybe don't send that text, don't say that thing. Um, so so mm-hmm. essentially, are you saying that most people, men, right? If that's the demographic, 21 to 25, it's it's as if they're just a little tipsy all the time, right? Because they just they're not as uh, their brain isn't at the point where they have full like management uh, response over. Over things like that. Like, is that is that a good metaphor? 
Not really. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think right. what you mean. I think what you mean is so the number the first thing that goes in terms of impairment when people are drinking is judgment. So judgment yeah. influences inhibition, right? right? And I think that the the metaphor probably that you're speaking to is that we're working with a group of people who are low in the ability to inhibit impulses. And it sounds like you meant that like when people are drinking, they behave similarly. So really what we're talking about is a group of people who have a tendency to be a little bit more erratic, more impulsive, making, you know, snap judgments, snap decisions, like somebody who might be drunk. Um, but I don't, I don't think they're necessarily operating from like a tipsy perspective, but their behaviors are impaired, you know, right. just in the sense that their frontal lobe isn't fully developed. So if they're making judgments and they're making decisions, especially off of emotion, which is, I would say, a, a part of gambling, right? And sports betting. I know that there are other people who try to take the emotion out of it, but I think inherently there's a little bit of that. Um, that, yeah, I mean, I guess we do see people who are going to be behaving as if they're intoxicated. Mm -hmm. um, and there, so are they more inclined, like 21 to 25, and uh, I imagine younger, but just since that's the demographic that's entering the marketplace, uh, you know, by the thousands, I'm sure, um, are they more inclined to addiction as well? Like I don't know the research. Premature brain? Right. I'm not sure what the research says about that. I would think so just because, again, of the impulsivity and the the when we're thinking about those executive functioning skills that are housed in the frontal lobe, there's a lot of also sensation seeking that comes with deficits in emotional control and with inhibition. So um, gambling is one way to satisfy sensation seekers and so is alcohol. So yeah. I think that all of those things kind of mix together, making that population more vulnerable. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just move on to this question. Uh, what, what happens to your brain when you win? Okay. Let's look like that's the mm. dopamine part, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and to your point, and I kind of want to connect it to a point you just made as well. Like, um, me, someone like me coming from the military, um, I'm sure there are other guys out there too, maybe firefighters, policemen, um, you know, athletes in college or just everyday people really. But, you know, even, even if you went to, let's say the university of Alabama or something like that, mm -hmm. you were used to a lot of stimulation mm -hmm. from the time you were 18 and for four six, 10, uh, however long yeah. you were in that profession. So maybe the, these demographics are a little more inclined to chase that stimulation too. So can you talk a little bit about what, like what happens to the brain when we win a bet? So winning a bet is really akin to anything that releases dopamine. So having a baby, um, eating, and these are all different levels of dopamine, eating chocolate, eating cheese, doing heroin. Having a baby, winning a bet, same level. Got it. Yeah, exactly. No, basically the same thing. <laughs> um, so all of those different activities release dopamine. And the level of dopamine that's released is what's different about the activities, but the reinforcement schedule is the same. So dopamine is very, very, very addicting. It's that feeling, probably what most people can relate to if they haven't had a baby or done heroin, is that that feeling when you are first in a new relationship, you know, where you're just like, you really can't focus, nothing else matters, you're hardly even hungry, you know, you can't wait for the next text, you can't wait to see the person. Um, it's that feeling. And when you hit a bet, right, when you win, you're getting that instantaneous boost in mood, that jump that you can kind of feel in your brain, that activation. Um, and the more you do it, 
meaning the more you win, the more you're placing bets and you're getting that reinforcement, the more likely you are to continue to try to get dopamine in that way because your brain is uh, used to it. It's created pathways for it. And in the reinforcement schedule that it has, it's it's also very intermittent, which means that it's not a guarantee, kind of like a slot machine. So every time you hit, it feels even better because you weren't necessarily expecting to. That's an interesting phrase. It creates pathways for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reward pathways in your brain. So there's a lot of research on that. Yeah. So once something happens once, twice, even more, right? Like now it's like this, it's like a well-paved road, you know, like your brain kind of wants it again. Mm -hmm. And on like MRIs and imaging studies that they've done, you can see it actually like light up, like there's activity in them. Yeah. You know, when I I met my, when I met my now wife, I was looking to study psychology uh, she was on her way to like, you know, clinical research and everything. So she suggested, well, you got a long road in front of you, but you can see, you, you can see me lighting up over here. I don't know if it's dopamine, but I, <laughs> I find it very interesting. Um, okay. Conversely, you know, you lose, right? Maybe you go on a losing streak. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're a better who's writing articles and you're putting your picks out there. They're losing or, or, or like a big bet, you know, you, you say, oh, three unit bet that loses. Um, can betting like trigger anxiety and depression and those? Yes. And I would argue that it's probably, again, I'm not a addiction specialist, but a lot of it probably comes from the chasing of the dopamine. So when you're yeah. used to getting dopamine a certain way, and then you're not getting that dopamine anymore, not only are you not experiencing the high, but the, the discrepancy between the high and the feeling that you have right now, which is probably just like neutrality, right? It's not necessarily yeah. sadness that discrepancy feels really big. So what feels normally like neutral, right? I'm not happy or sad might feel like sadness or low mood or depression or anxiety because the high is so high that there's like so much further to fall. So that's how it sort of starts to wreck your perception of reality and like what's really happening to you. Um, What was the second part of your question? Uh, Can, you know, can it lead to, depression, anxiety? Uh, I mean, I think you answered it. Well, in sports betting in particular, I think there's a, a lot more at stake, not compared to like, I don't know, heroin or having a baby, but the idea that you're using your own personal financial resources, right? And so if you're chasing dopamine, you're not getting the dopamine, you have that fall from grace, basically, and you're hurting yourself financially or, you know, potentially feeling like you have to keep this process a secret. You don't, maybe you're feeling like you have to, you know, be a little bit more dishonest than normal. All of those things for sure would contribute to low mood, depression, anxiety. Yeah. And not to sound like a politician, but I just feel like, you know, we, we know that America has like a, a crazy drug problem right now, mm-hmm. right? Like we really are sort of I mean, it's it's not arguable that we're we're at the apex of society, right? Like, you know, we even even if you're middle class, middle class is struggling right now. Mm-hmm. I feel you, but like, we still have nice homes. We still have air conditioning. Right. We can go get food whenever we want, and it, it just a lot of America is just getting whether it's drugs or it's eating or it's drinking mm-hmm. or it's gambling. Um, the the dopamine hits are there. Mm-hmm. And if they start going away, I feel like you know, many of us, even in small way, microwaves maybe, but uh, experience some sort of withdrawal, you know, from mm-hmm. these like, little pleasures that we could. So oh, totally. To. Yeah. Did you want to add anything about that? No, just that. I mean, exactly. I think that that's why people turn to 
you know, what we call comforts, right? Like it's a, there's a lot of research about how people who were previously addicts, they often become more addicted to something else instead that's, you know, considered quote healthier, um, you know, whether it's exercise or um, sweets, you know, things like that. So healthier than drugs or alcohol, but still trying to chase that same feeling just with a different method or different substance. Yeah. Um, so you said something that's going to lead me to another question, but it's a great segue because you talked about, you know, keeping secrets, right? And mm -hmm. and I think, um, I don't know, I've never heard this on a podcast before, so we're going to talk about it now, but I, I know, um, I know that I've done it before, right? Like you don't, you don't like admit what's happening necessarily to your partner, mm -hmm. but I, I think, I mean, anecdotally, I think it's fair to assume that many betters, mostly men, that's that's just what the demographic is. Mm -hmm. uh, they probably maintain a level of secrecy, right? There, there, there's an, an inherent level of secrecy when you bet because it's your app, it's your sports book, whatever. Um, what what are your thoughts on that and and kind of the effect, effects mentally that they that can have on somebody, and 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 you know probably affect their bets in the long run too, right? Yeah, I think it probably depends on how much you're lying by omission, which is really what a secret is. Um, so there are, there are different types of lies, but lying by omission is not being honest by not revealing something that's happened. And right. I think that for gamblers, it probably depends on how often that's happening. So there might be, you know, maybe one or two times and, you know, what my partner doesn't know doesn't hurt him or her. Um, but over time, if they start to compound, I think the AA saying is like, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I think for gambling in that industry, that is especially true. Because uh, if you think about it, you're you're not being honest because the experience is negative. So something negative has happened, whether it's that you've lost money or you're ashamed because maybe you put a lot of time into this bet and and so you feel embarrassed that it didn't hit. And you have, you know, in these situations where sports bettors are putting out their picks, you know, whatever the reason is. I think that in addition to kind of chasing that that high, right, the feeling of like, well, I'll next the next bet will hit. I think it gives this false sense of security, like, well, I lost this time, but next time I won't. And we know, obviously, that that isn't sustainable long term, that that often isn't how it works out, and that it can really start to, to snowball for a lot of people. Yeah, um, that's, I mean, I think it's particularly true obviously with addictive you know personalities but just with everybody right i mean who who wants to tell your partner um that you lost anything you know at any point you know or mm -hmm. that you have to put money back in I and mean, that's not especially if you're calling it your profession mm -hmm. you know that that's uh because you know like like i say to my wife all the time um it's i don't know if there's any other profession than pro gambling where you could be in quotes really good at what you're doing like overall long term but like, as you get better at what you do, there are still moments where you're losing, mm -hmm. losing money, mm -hmm. any profession you're, you're going up in the ranks, you're, you're making more money, right. you know, um, period, you know, but there's still, it's like that, you know, tug and pull, like in your own brain, like how, how well am I doing, et cetera. Um, okay. So let's talk about compulsive behavior too. And I, because this is, it, you know, it feels like we're kind of building this a little bit, right? Like. Um, how can betters control those uh, the compulsions? Because you're you're a behaviorist, right? From what I understand, right? That that's your mm -hmm. modality. 
And I just feel like for most people, even if they claim they have full control over everything they're doing, um, and I think I, I probably said something like this last year when we talked, but um, most betters, I mean, I don't care what the tout is saying. We've all had moments where we are absolutely chasing something. We're being compulsive. We're trying to make up for losses. And, you know, maybe there are sages who are at a point where they never do that, whatever. But what are some actual modalities that we can use, some tactics we can use to not be so compulsive? Well, that's hard because the... the Tell us exactly what we need to do. Right. The, the treatment inherently, <laughs> like if you were coming in, again, I'm not an addiction specialist, but, um, and I don't treat people who have gambling disorders or anything like that, but if I were to think about it from a anxiety disorder or like OCD perspective, like how would I treat somebody who feels like they're engaging in a behavior that they can't stop? Because that's really what we're talking about, right? I would first take a look at, you know, how impaired is this person? So are we talking about something where like this, let's say there's a better who is using a unit size that's $1, you know, and they've, and they've bet 10 times in a row and they've lost 10 times in a row and they feel like they just can't control it, but they've only lost $10. Now, if $10 to them is a lot of money, that's a different situation, but we want to look at how impaired is this person by their compulsions or their compulsive behavior and how distressed are they? So how much does it bother them? And when we think about distress, we might not be able to take the, you know, personal opinion of the person who is in the treatment program because, a person who's gambling might not be distressed by the fact that they're losing all the time, but maybe their partner is because they're losing a lot of money. Um, so we take into account the distress and the impairment. Theoretically, what the real treatment strategy would be is to sit with the discomfort. So the and this is obviously a very, very, very hard thing to do for people who are chasing a high, but it would be you know when you've lost, no matter how big or small the loss is, to intentionally sit out like the next bet. Um, so to actively, you know, if you have that feeling of like, I really need to chase this, or I'm just going to play something right now, because I I know that even if I won $20, I'd feel better. Mm -hmm. It would be to, to really sit back and do nothing so that your brain gets used to that discomfort of like, Oh, I just want this feeling to go away. I hate that. I just lost. Like I got to get back up. That's the feeling that drives the compulsive behavior. So we have to get our brain used to that feeling and not respond to it. So that would be like the inherent treatment. Yeah, and I see what you're saying by like, obviously, there are different levels and some people probably need treatment, right? I mean, obviously, when you're talking about substance abuse, um, it's there are very obvious cases where people need treatment, but the level of secrecy that you can have in you know, betting, right? You could conceivably lose and lose and lose for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows you're sitting with it, suffering with it in your brain. Mm-hmm. I know in years past, I've been there, um, you know, just kind of not telling anybody about the the woes of what's what's happening and it sucks. Um, So yeah, that's, that's, it's an interesting point. And, and there's not, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to, or Dr. Kate is not going to be able to like unveil the exact things you need to do. Magic solution. Yeah. Yeah. To like uh, solve it, but um, sitting with it easier said than done, but that makes sense. Right. Because you're, aren't you telling your brain like, so does in, in a, I guess it's just like a way to say it. Aren't you just like telling your brain that 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 pathway, that paved road is just, it's a little less ideal now, right? It's like a little rocky. 
there are there are fucking bears and tigers on that road now. So maybe you just like think about it before you navigate it again. Is that fair? Well, I think more the messaging is in the in the brain. The messaging would be that this is a feeling that I can't tolerate. Like I can't handle this feeling, and so I need to make it go away. And the easiest way to make it go away is the hope that I'm going to win this next bet because we still don't even know yeah. if you're going to win, right? It might not even make the feeling go away. It may, may make it worse. So inherently the messaging is I need to do something right now because I'm so uncomfortable with what just happened that in order to feel better, I need to do X or Y or Z. And the reality is that if you did nothing, eventually that feeling of distress that you're experiencing in the moment will go away. Now it, it will come back, right? Because of the reinforcement pattern, et cetera, et cetera. But in the moment, you don't have to do anything to make that discomfort go away. It will go away on its own. Um, and obviously, you know, for people who are long-term betters, meaning that it is a part of their profession, the losing is part of the occupation, right? It's part of the job description. So I think that that really confuses things when people are losing too, because a little bit of that is expected, right? You're not going to win every time. So how much loss is loss that we need to really start to care about and or worry about. Um, you know, I'm sure you've been there too, right? You'll lose a bet and then be like, well, I mean, okay, can't win them all. But how many times does that happen before you have to be like, wait, hold on. Yeah. Is this an issue? Yeah. And man, I want to ask you, you know, we're not going to be able to like give maybe a black and white uh, answer here, but I just feel like, aren't there some personalities and like some, some people are, I know some of these guys in the sports betting industry and they're, they're just, their their personalities are mechanical, right? So they're not necessarily the guy you want to go and like, you know, go to like a music festival with, mm -hmm. but as far as like a pro sports better who never, never bets too much or, or never chases and stays really, within you know within the boundaries of of the you know the the tenets of proper sports betting the certain personality types i feel like can thrive in those situations right but sure. but other other personality types um i don't know if you want to like speak to what they uh are you know like or what they look like or seem like but are tend to be more inclined to chase that st st uh, stimulation from anecdotally from what i've seen do you think that's true I think different clinical disorders will predispose people to be more sensation seeking, which means that they may be more vulnerable to experimenting with gambling. Um, people with ADHD are more sensation seeking. Uh, people with a history of depression can be more sensation seeking. Um, you know, obviously there are a lot of different personality disorders. Um, people with borderline personality disorder tend to have more substance use issues, which you could say is akin to gambling. Um, so yeah, there, there definitely are people who are more predisposed to get into trouble in this industry if they decide to venture into it. Um, in terms of you just commenting on the idea that, you know, maybe there are people in this industry who are you know, never double down on a bet, never chase. They just kind of use their models and they make their bets. And when they lose, they stop. Um, but that's, I feel like kind of like in every field, there's like an anomaly of, of yep. a small percent of the population in that occupation that doesn't have to succumb to the trials and tribulations that everyone else is succumbing to, you know, doctors, lawyers, right? There are people in every profession who just have an easier go at it. <laughs> hundred percent. I mean, I see it, but I do think that they're more of definitely more of an anomaly, right? The, the, they're the exception.
Mm-hmm. Um, in most cases. Okay, last question. Uh, you know, we got you here for a long time. Appreciate your time, Dr. Kate. I would I would reference you. I would say go check out Dr. Kate on Twitter. You you do not exist on Twitter. I do not. Um, your Instagrams are private, so we're not yep. going to give that out. But we really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, talking about a really important topic, you know, that's not that's not talked about enough. Um, so the NFL is coming, Kate, in oh case boy. you don't know that. Oh, I know. <laughs> Believe me, I know. Um, the, the, the Goliath that is the NFL, most popular sport in America, the sharpest lines out of any sport, right? Maybe you know, maybe European soccer gets close, but like sports books know what the fuck they're doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. When they put out a line in the NFL, right? So it's hard. Uh, I think some of the smartest people take on the NFL, but it's also very seductive because we all love the NFL. We're we're all married to it in, in some way, whether it's because of our team or the drama that's inevitably going to happen. America loves the NFL. What are some, what are your tips entering the NFL season? Um, however many you want to give, just one sentence up to you, but like, what would you say to these prospective NFL betters who they have their bankrolls ready? Maybe they're going to tell their wife or husband. Maybe they're not, but they're ready to go for this NFL season. What would you say? Oh gosh, um, I would probably. Would you say? I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I would say. You know, I, th- first of all, this this part probably goes without saying, but I would have a a look into the end of the season and decide how much money you would be okay with losing to- in total at the end of the season. You know, how much money would you be okay being down? So let's say you didn't win anything, right? How much are we okay being down? Um, and then I would base your unit size off of that figure. So like, obviously everybody is going into the season, probably thinking and getting excited about the prospects of like, how much am I going to win? What can I do with the money? You know, what, what is it going to end up being? But really at the end of the day, we need to be okay with how much are we willing to lose? Um, because that's, what's going to inform mood behavior, honesty or dishonesty. So that would be the first thing is just like project out how much you're willing to lose. What's the, what, what's the amount that we're willing to be down at the end of the season? So not even up a penny, how much are we willing to be down? And then I would challenge everybody who is starting to feel like maybe they're down and their mood is altered by it. I would encourage them to start to track some of that behavior. So research has shown that when people start to track behavior, that behavior that they're tracking improves, whether it's eating chips. If they have to write down the number of chips that they've eaten that week, they will find that they've eaten fewer chips just because the process of actually writing it down is a level of accountability that actually alters the behavior itself. So I would say if you're starting to notice that you're losing, right, maybe more than normal, because kind of what we were talking about before, part of the of the nature of the beast is that you are going to lose a little bit. So I think, you know, most people probably who are not professional sports bettors aren't tracking super heavily their wins and their losses, right? So I would argue that one strategy for improving this process would be to track those things. And then also when you notice a pattern of loss, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to stop necessarily, but I would start to track your mood and, and your behavior. And, you know, are you noticing that you're more irritable? Are you noticing that you're finding that you feel like you can't be quite as honest with your wife who just asked like, oh, like, are you watching that game? Like, who do you need to win? You know, those types of things. Um, so I would say those are probably my two biggest bits of advice. If you find yourself in a position where 
you're noticing like the season's not going great for you, starting to track and write down like why that might be. Um, and then based on the data that you see, we might have to do another podcast about it. Maybe people can write in what their response is, but we can help them figure out what to do about that. I love it. I, I could ask you a hundred more questions and talk about this for a long time, but it's obviously a very serious topic. And um, I appreciate you on a Friday night. You, you probably just worked all day. Yeah, I know you got a little um, newborn over there or infant, I, I should say. Uh, you got a lot going on. So really appreciate it, Dr. K. Thanks for stopping by. So you can't check... You can't check her out anywhere. No. Anybody. Uh, everybody. But she's, she's, out there. <laughs> she's out there doing her clinical work. Uh, and we will have you back on soon. I would love to get some audience questions for the show as well, because I think that would be a, a really awesome, like, interactive show. Dr. Kate, thanks again. You're so welcome. See ya. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the recording, but it doesn't, doesn't end us.